Hello, hello. Welcome to the Pre-Internet Friends Podcast, a conversation shaped by being savvy enough to deal with the world today, but old enough to remember the world before the internet. This podcast is a his and hers take on the world as it is, not as it should be. I am your host, the mostly right, but sometimes less right, but always adorable, Mr. J. Nicholas. This is my co-host, everyone's favorite everything, Miss Nicole Shanique. How are you feeling tonight, Queen? I'm actually doing pretty well. How are you? You know what? I am healing up uh, both physically and emotionally. So, um, you know, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. What happened to you emotionally? Uh, Well, we just said we weren't going to talk about this on the air. So I'm not going to get into it. Oh, okay. But, you know, uh, for the viewers who were tuning in from last episode, you did have a a live that you did. We spoke about crypto. cryptocurrency and 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 investing uh while uh consuming alcoholic beverages right first of all do not make it sound like i'm a degenerate so i did context i -hmm. did have um what i called crypto and cocktails to just discuss bitcoin with some friends and you were gracious enough to stop by and actually get on the live with me so thank you for supporting right it was a beautiful event until some of the attention went to my uh my quarantine attire they took shots at my my buzzer beater we're Uh not going to talk about that shirt because i will get upset okay no problem and physically uh i am recovering i had um some new scar tissue on my back so i'm letting that heal up now this week has been uh, a relatively shorter week Uh, we are a day ahead of schedule but it's a lot to get to uh where would you like to begin ma'am um, well, you know, the topic that's on everybody's mind is the coronavirus. So I guess <laughs> I guess we can start with this whole Fox News, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil situation. Yes. So uh, Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, independent of one another, were guests on separate Fox News, on separate Fox News shows. And they both weighed in on the the coronavirus as far as the, the the scale of the the pandemic and what would be the best approach for the nation to collectively move forward they had different takes but both were problematic and i actually have uh, queued up a clip uh, of basically the, the nutshell from both dr phil and dr oz so i'm going to play that now people a year die from poverty and the poverty line is getting such that more and more people are going to fall below that because the economy is crashing around us and they're doing that because people are dying from the coronavirus i get that but look the fact of the matter is we have people dying 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents 480,000 from cigarettes 360,000 a year from swimming pools but we don't shut the country down for that but yet we're doing it for this and the fallout is going to last for years because people's lives are being destroyed dr oz help us well first we need our mojo back let's start with things that are really critical to the nation where we think we might be able to open without getting into a lot of trouble 
I tell you, schools are a very appetizing opportunity. Uh, I just saw a nice piece in the Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us two to three percent in terms of total mortality. And, you know, that's any life is a life lost. But to get every child back into a school where they're safely being educated, being fed uh, and making the most out of their lives with a theoretical risk on the backside, uh, it might be a trade off some folks would consider. We need to get industry back, supply lines. I mean, things that we can do without putting a nation. And we're back. So what do you think Dr. Phil is smoking? Yo. Somebody tweeted this, and this is true, and somebody said, you know, Oprah is a treasure, but two of the worst things she's done was give us Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. Because, first of all, to my knowledge, Dr. Phil isn't even, like, a doctor. Like, he has a... And he's not even, like, a therapist. Like, because, remember, his show is supposedly, like, a... Supposed to be, like, he's some type of counselor. But then I Mm -hmm. heard some years ago that his actual doctorate degree is in something that's definitely not counseling. It was in, like, biology or, or animals or something like that. So he's not even a specialist at what he's portraying to be. And even if he was a therapist, like a therapist is not necessarily like a medical doctor. So I don't even know why they would have him on TV talking about this pandemic, which is a medical situation. And he basically gave the, you know, niggas die every day be basically, you know, yes, synopsis to like why we need to open things up. And I came upon the Dr. Oz situation a little bit after. So, and he basically said the same thing. It's like, oh, what a, the death rate isn't that high. But at the same time, it's like, what are y'all even talking about? Like, even if you can add up all these other things, people, let's say not wearing seatbelts or, you know, dying from the flu or whatever, like that's not anywhere near the level of uh, contagiousness that this is. So why would you even be comparing those things? You know what yeah, I mean? Like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's apples. It's apples to oranges. And more importantly, uh, it's tone deaf. You know, it, it sounds like Dr. Oz, who is usually pretty good at managing his brand, uh, it seems as though he he completely missed missed the mark on this. And um, I don't know, you know, I don't know who, who was advising him. Now, I will say uh, for the record that he did uh, recant. <laughs> he did they come out and do. recant. Right. After the backlash, he recanted and, and acknowledges the uh, poor choice of words when he seemed to be at ease with 3% of the population dying. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. All right. As the, uh, the great philosopher said in Anchorman, uh, six out of 10 times, it works every time. <laughs> right. I guess my thing is, and another thing, I I guess, because, you know, we know Fox News has the Republican or conservative slant or whatever. A lot of the people who are at home and don't have jobs that are sophisticated to the level where they can work from home are the people, the very people who would be getting killed by this. You know what I mean? Like if you're talking about, you know, blue collar workers and, and, and things like that, y'all going to go back out there get sick within two weeks and then what's going to happen to you then? All right. What you see, uh, you know, just uh, recently Florida has decided that they're going to raise the stakes on being Florida and mm-hmm. reopen their, their beaches. Yep. And I, I, I saw a live shot at that point. It was about 530. Uh, the beaches reopened at 5 p.m. And it already looked like 
like from the picture, you could see the coronavirus like seeping through. I'm like, man, this is not good. But um, the states are going to do what, what, what they want if, if Trump has his way. Uh, but I think we need to collectively practice some some prudence. Uh, you know, I've seen people make the assertion uh, falsely that this is me- uh, just a matter of dense populations being afflicted. And as we reference some of the numbers in episodes prior, there is an economic factor uh, to this, uh, not just in terms of money lost, but people who who have been the most uh, adversely affected have also been lower income earners. There is a direct correlation between quality of life and your ability to insulate yourself from this pandemic. So please be prudent, people, and move cautiously. And speaking of prudence, the people in, I believe, Guangzhou province, um, province, excuse me, in China apparently have been banning banning African people um, from certain public spaces. There was a picture that went viral of a McDonald's in China that basically said they're not allowing black people in. I saw on Al Jazeera English, and that's actually that YouTube channel that Al Jazeera English, I would highly recommend that people go watch that. They have like a lot of good journalism and they kind of get deeper into things that you know, the regular six o'clock, seven o'clock news or whatever doesn't get into. And they had a young lady there who she was from somewhere in Africa, Uganda, I believe. And she's going to med school there. And she was talking about Mm. the treatment of black people just in general. And she said that it has in fact gotten worse since this has been going on. And the wild part was the, the reporter from Al Jazeera was actually a black woman. And then she had a guy a Chinese man there from some type of think tank or something. And he just tried to skirt the whole issue. And he said, well, you know, this was one situation, but you know, China has never been expressly against black people like the U S. So, you know, I mean, what do you think about that? Because his whole thing was like, his whole thing was, yeah. Like his whole thing was like, okay, you caught us, you know, in one, you know, uh, a fast food spot he's like but we've never had any codified laws against black people like the u.s so you know miss me was kind of his whole energy right right which i respect that uh that is a, a legit clapback the issue the issue is well first off before i even dive into this regardless of how you feel about the ugliness that's associated with you know words and language and you know i don't want to hear any 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 more f- blowback for me calling it the Chinese virus. All right. Well, so, did you see a couple of weeks ago, your, your dude, Bill Maher, he, um, on his closing monologue, he basically did the same exact thing. He said, yo, Zika is, is Zika virus is named after the Zika forest. Ebola apparently is a village. MERS is Middle East respiratory syndrome. He says, so why does this get to be different? So Bill Maher, he, you know, what's funny though, Bill Maher is such a, uh, he's such an asshole, which is cool. Like I, I, I can appreciate that quality of it, but he's also racist and that's not cool. Um, I don't think he's <laughs> racist as much as he's, he says okay. racist things. <laughs> no. So he's the, I'm not even gonna go with the Like he has a history of dating black women, but I think it's a tone deafness that he is like a, what 60 something year old white man who's been rich for what 20 30 years now so i think there's just certain things that 
had he not been as insulated as he is because of him being an old rich white man that he would know better than saying. That's why I was glad. I was glad when um Ice Cube came on the show because it's like, you know, Ice Cube is, you know, not that far apart yeah. from him age, been rich and all of that. And he was able to give him, you know, the the perspective from black people. And I think Ice Cube actually did a very, very good job on that. When Ice Cube... He did. He did. Yeah, because Bill Maul was kind of like, oh, I already spoke when Ice Cube was like, well, I didn't. So let me say what right, I got to say. Right, <laughs> like, right. And, and for those those who, who haven't seen that that clip uh, which was an epic uh, conversation that that's something worth googling ice cube bill maher uh conversation i guess would be the, the search but just to wrap the china situation mcdonald's right that's where they were at yeah i personally yeah i've been boycotting mcdonald's wow. since 2016 um <laughs> six why <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it's it's not random. And, and 2016 was when I, I drew, I put my foot down and drew my, my line in the sand with my big toe. 2016, I was in Cleveland a week after, oh no, excuse me, a week prior to the Republican National Convention. I was out there mm. for an empowerment conference. And, you know, for- wait, for wait a second. You don't get to just say that in Breeze Best, an empowerment conference. Yeah, a black empowerment conference. We were there speaking about, ways to revitalize the the black community to bring it together uh you know social justice uh social justice reform um you know economic empowerment like everything collective you and Mm -hmm. i were in regular touch in 2016 and you didn't tell me that you went to a dr umar conference in 2016 you never i'm just now hearing this it wasn't later. a Dr. Umar conference. Why would it? Oh, all oh, roads I'm sorry. Have, Listen, me. listen. Excuse all me. roads of collective empowerment don't have to lead to Umar Johnson. Excuse me, <laughs> Tariq Nasheed. No, the, the, no. You had uh, you had guys like Boyce Watkins there. Uh, Polite was there. Brother Polite, uh, Cornell West. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the flyer from back then, but there were a, a slew of people. New, I think it's New Era Detroit, New Era Chicago, which is a community outreach group. They go into the hoods of, of the of these cities in Detroit and Chicago, doing uh, outreach work. Um, you know, trying to, to de-escalate the tensions between the police and the uh, members of the community. They go pick up garbage. Like you know, it's just it's 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 people okay. doing the work. You, okay. you know what I mean? So- so this so is now, a, a multi-layered thing, McDonald's, right? But as a res, as a result of it, though, we 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 did discuss the some of the corporations that were uh, a party to or participant in this prison industrial complex. Some of these companies that were exploiting uh, slave labor, you know, or the prison labor. Um, McDonald's, they were one of the one of the participants in having some prisons uh, produce their uniforms, package their cutlery, you know, their plastic knives and forks and, you know, you know, and amongst growing some of their produce. So it, it, it was enough. And the food is, is trash anyway. It's not healthy for you. Uh, if you've never seen Super Size Me, you can take a look at that documentary for, for proof of the harm of eating McDonald's. So it was just like, you know, I, I'm done. You know, but, I don't have to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as a McDonald's so, shareholder, I'm not going to sit through too much of this. Oh, but anyway. whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just wanted to know. Um, well, you, we don't even have to disclose what the, your buy-in was, but that's uh, that's what it is. My buy-in was what nothing a re- because I got it as what a, a, a minor. Um, okay. What a reveal. All right. 
So, um, you know, I mean, you accuse me of being a black Republican, so that's on brand, right? I hear you. I hear you. The brand is strong. Quite a diverse portfolio, but yeah, you you should uh you should practice some conscious okay. capitalism and I'm, liquidate I'm those, those those shares. Uh yes. So all of that is to say, you should not be surprised at anything popping off in McDonald's, regardless of what continent it's in. Well, uh, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be eating McDonald's. And yes, go ahead. You were gonna say. Well, I think the larger conversation is. In the anti-blackness that is perpetuated by Chinese people in China and by Chinese people outside of China. Um, a lot of people online were saying like, this is why I say I'm rooting for black people or I'm, you know, rooting for African-Americans or whatever, because a lot of people try to get in on that POC wave and it's like, no, we're all people of color. But then as soon as they're in the position of power, they do the same thing that, you know, these white supremacist institutions do so right that's that's my issue with it because a lot of asian americans you know kind of like to liken some of their struggles to what we have to deal with as black people it's like yeah so of course there's going to be some type of overlap but look at what y'all are doing to black people i mean there there, there is no monopoly on suffering regardless of your uh, individual history or the, you know, the individual history of your, your peoples. But um, there is something that is very unique to the American chattel slavery experience that is unlike anything that has happened in the world since. Um, so we, we don't have to, we don't have to compare scars. You know, I, we, we know that our scars are unique uh, to us. And, you know, that, that, that's that. Uh, as far as accountability, we have to hold these corporations and these governments accountable for how they treat our brothers abroad and recognize that that injustice there, it does affect us. You know, it's just to what extent, how much are you going to internalize it? Exactly. exactly. Are you you willing as an offended party to to come on, on record on this, this groundbreaking platform and say, you'll, you'll, you'll liquidate your shares. No. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, so much for conscious capitalism. Um, all right. So speaking of, of, of capitalism and and black people, right? Such a segue. Recently, Michael Che decided to pay, I thought it was a couple of months rent uh, no. for, but it was one month's, one month's rent for 160 families that lived in NYCHA. And he did this in honor of his grandmother. Yes. Which is dope. Uh shout out to Michael Che for 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 doing that. That 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 was dope. Were you impressed by that? Did you did you I mean how how did you receive that? Did you feel like he was doing what he should have or you felt like like it was just unexpected and you you could appreciate it and move on? Well, I love stories like this and you know, we know that what it takes to be in public housing that a lot of people in public housing are on the fringe, you know, on the fringe economically. So those people in, in those apartments are definitely going to benefit from this because if you just think about, you know, one month rent to really anybody is a help, you know, whether, you know, your rent is 500 or, you know, 5,000, if somebody's, 
you know, taking a, an expense off of you. Um, and I think is I think it's dope because, you know, we know a lot of families, you know, in the projects, they have kids, the kids are home all day. They, you know, probably spending more on food. So, you know, expenses all around are tighter or, you know, like we were just saying before, there's a lot of people who have been out of work with no pay. So right. if this can, you know, prevent them, you know, from falling into some type of ruin or, or whatever, or just like a, a helping hand, I think it's dope. And I guess what I wanted to ask you is should we be seeing more things like this from our rich niggas from our what <laughs> she says should we see more i think that we will see more uh should we expect it and the, the answer is no um you know it's a bad habit that we tend to to practice which is counting other people's pockets and i i personally i've i've always took uh, i've always taken exception to that and I actually coined uh, a philosophy around this, if I could reference myself. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, okay. Humble brag. What what oh, I God. what Go I used ahead. to call this? Listen, I grew up in in Niger. What what I used to call this was the potato chip bag theory. All right, and that is, if you have a a bag of potato chips, a sing, a single bag, and someone saw you with your bag of chips, they would say, "Hey, can I have some of your chips?" And they would expect for you to pour a little from that bag into their hands, right? Or for them to be able to stick their dirty hand into your bag, mm-hmm. you know, growing up Brownsville, right? But if you if you showed up with four bags of chips, somebody, same person would say, hey, let me get a bag, yeah. right? And the idea is the more that you have, the more people want from you. Yeah. So when you see like a Oprah Winfrey build homes, right, and, and do home giveaways, Someone says, well, look, that only cost her X amount of dollars, but she's worth Y amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's a tax write-off. It's not genuine. Or you see a Bill Gates donate X amount of dollars, and he got he got backlash from giving away money. You know what I mean? It's uh, There is a, a, a de- depreciation for acts of kindness when they're coming from people of a certain economic uh, stratosphere because- you know, when you understand the finances, it's like, well, how much of a sacrifice is it? If tides is ten percent, shit, that's the least you could get. You know what I mean? Like, that's, but at the same time, it just, a mm-hmm. few episodes ago, we had the same conversation about Bloomberg. I just feel right. like at the end of the day, you know, nobody's legally obligated to give anybody anything. And yeah, sure, these people won't miss it, but at the end of the day, like they don't know you. They 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 really don't legally have to do anything for you like in terms of altruism and things like that yeah I think it's dope what I actually would prefer to see is like what a T.I. and Killer Mike are doing and I want more of a black ecosystem like other communities have it right the the block that I used to live on uh the homes were newly constructed newly constructed and basically every single person who had bought one of the the new houses that were constructed was a Chinese person. So then they were able to, you know, rent to other Chinese people or rent to their family members or things like that. So, you know, then that way when across the street rents were getting high, they were already secured, you know, them and the people from their community. So I would like to see 
something that's a little bit more sustainable because sure one month is a help don't get me wrong if anybody wants to pay one month of my rent please be my guest y'all know the cash app is nicole shanique um Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i would i would like to see something that's sustainable and that could help people at scale like i would love to see diddy and jay-z and you know, LeBron, whoever get together and say, yeah, we bought X amount of acres. We just heard that what Kanye bought land in Wyoming or whatever, but we know that Kanye just want the Kardashians to be over there, right? Like what if Jay-Z, um, you know, like I said, LeBron, Diddy and whoever else get together and buy some acres and buy some, you know, buy 10 square blocks in Detroit and really build it up. Like that, yeah, that, I mean, I, that would be that would be something that would be changing people's lives for generations if they really put the infrastructure there and let people actually live there. Not necessarily they have to run it, but just literally build it up, get the water turned on, get the you know sewer system, you know, talk to the people to get garbage pickup and all of that, and really make it where, okay, this area, you know, call it whatever part you want to call it, and it's like okay, now we could get black owned nail salons in here now we could get a black owned laundry man and we gonna have a uh somebody else is going to be doing a black owned grocery store and we're going to have a black bodega and you know and really get that's something that's what i would like to see some of these there, black there, capital. there are mo- multiple people who are at least selling the idea of raising a, a new tulsa you know what i mean a, a new black wall street or these isolated cities that are going to be developed from idea to actuality, you know, and self-funding and crowdfunded. Yeah. Um, but but so much of uh so many of these ideas that are altruistic and that are really for for our best interest collectively, because it does diminish the the reliance on the government, which is always an, a good thing. So 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 much of it is going to rely on people who are larger income earners and that idea i just it makes me want to just harken back i'm going to call this spinning the block when we when we actually do revisit something that we spoke on because <laughs> we don't always come right back oh, so I, I want i want to spin the block to last week when we spoke about the stimulus checks and the sba loans yes and just and just readdress and and update so i looked at a few different articles from Forbes and a couple of other reputable sources. And this may have been one of the the rare instances where I, Mr. J. Nicholas, was actually less right. It, it said in this Forbes article quite explicitly, which is what I was looking for uh, because the language in the actual CARES Act uh, was a little unclear for most people. But in the Forbes act, uh, article, we had IRS representatives say that you're tax credit that you receive for this year or next year will not count directly against your uh tax liability right. so which, which that's, means mm-hmm. that's that's yeah so that's where i think it, the confusion is it's not a it's not an advance against your refund it's an advance against a certain tax credit that will be in effect at that time i don't know the full amount of the tax credit but let's say if it's 2400 and you already got 12, then in the future, when you file the taxes for this year, you would then just not be able to take advantage of the full tax credit, but you wouldn't wouldn't owe. Right. So 
I felt like I felt like that's not too far from what we were saying, but I, you know, it might be enough of a difference that I, I want to just say if this is a point of clarification, then so be it. I'll I'll wear that as something that I was less right on. Yes. But this you is know, a serious publication, right? But <laughs> while you, you know, why some of you might be looking at the chops at the idea of being able to point the finger, while you while you motherfuckers were out there excited about the the $1200 checks, right? And I and I saw the, the fur coats coming out, right? A lot of you guys were excited about the $1200 checks. If you, you had guys a $1200 missed. fur, just leave it in the closet cuz I can tell you a $1200 <laughs> fur in the year 2020 is not fly. Continue. <laughs> yeah, what what they really missed was the fact that this stimulus wasn't for you guys who are receiving the $1200 checks. No. So while 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 the, the brokies were out there harassing the tax preparers, trying to figure out where the money was being deposited, the the language in the bailout is going to allow for forty three thousand millionaires. Now this is people who who have earned seven figures or more, forty three thousand millionaires to be able to profit off of a tax code that Republicans have passed back in two thousand and seventeen. Right? They ordered a joint commission. To, to to do a, a inquiry into this. And this Joint Commission on Taxation said that 82% of the benefits of this bailout are going to go to these 43,000 millionaires. The, those people who are going to be eligible for this loophole are going to receive an average windfall of nearly $1.7 million. Million dollars. So y'all could take your $1,200 that you're scratching on the neck for and have a seat and, and digest some perspective. You're getting twelve hundred. This is what I'm talking uh-huh. about. That I don't. I forget which episode we talked about it. People are not educated on the way these things are written, and I had to take tax law in law school. Unfortunately, I hated that class. It was my worst grade in law school. But the tax code, you know, when we think about lobbying and and things like that, the people who get the most benefit from the tax code are the people with the most political power and the most uh, the people who have the most political power are usually very rich people and, and very rich businesses. So naturally, that's how you end up with, oh, you could write off a private jet as business travel, you know, if mm-hmm. you take it to a meeting or, you know, you can write off, you know, there's just certain there's certain things that people who just work for a direct paycheck don't understand. Like if you get payments from stocks and bonds, that's actually taxed at a lower rate but people don't know that because they don't have it right so of course you know it's like not only are these people making multiples of what a lot of these people who were excited about getting twelve hundred dollars were they're getting benefits that a lot of people are never in a lifetime even gonna see and and a lot of that is based on the way information is being presented the way uh schools are, are the curriculums are being developed uh people barely develop an understanding of how to deal with individual filings uh, in terms of dealing with the IRS going through K through 12, you know, much less with the process of starting a business and how to manage S Corp or LLC, uh, how to acquire real estate um, and all of the things that you need to do to be able to take the next step from being just a a middle or low income wage earner to being a, a boss or being an entrepreneur, you know, just leveling up, you know, because again, education is only one vehicle. Sometimes it does take money to make money. 
Uh, actually, well, most times. Well, that's mm-hmm. why, again, going back to our early conversation about why I'm so passionate about crypto, because I really do feel like as black people and, you know, and, and lower income people that we are going to need something to dramatically change our wealth situation for ourselves, for future generations, you know, especially in the black community, a lot of times we end up responsible for our elders. So whereas a lot of white people, they get, you know, a windfall when somebody in their family dies. Whereas, you know, how many times in the black community, somebody passes away and then everybody's pointing fingers because they don't even have funeral money, you know, for this person, you know, so that's why I'm so passionate about put $5 a week into crypto, put $10 a week into crypto. This to me, in my opinion, and I don't think I'm alone in this, do your own research, of course. But I think that we're now in a stage that it was where the people who were buying Amazon early and who were buying Google early and, you know, stocks like that. And now they're just living off the interest. Like, I think we really are in that time at, you know, for cryptocurrency. So, you know, if you got a piece of that $1,200 left, put 50, you know, go in the cash app and get 50 in Bitcoin and just hold it. Because I I don't think that especially American society is set up for people who are just going to work for, you know, a check every other week or twice a month or whatever. That system is not going to get us where we need to be. And it's not even maintaining a lot of people on day to day forget about future wealth and economic opportunities. There's a lot of people working a lot of hours and they still can't even meet, you know, make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. the the first The first step forward is recognizing that the idea isn't to just simply work harder. That that's part of the the American dream hustle that's being pa- packaged and sold to to common folk. It's not just about working hard. Working hard is the easy part. It's working smart. Uh, yep. You have to work smartly and and be efficient and be deliberate in, in your business decisions. You know, obviously th- that's going to be a reoccurring theme when we start talking about business. That's that's one of the focuses of the podcast for a reason. And just uh just to wrap that that business conversation, that SBA uh, loan that I was super excited about the uh, the triple P the Paycheck Protection Program is not accepting any more applications for the $349 billion that they uh, were slated to give out. The agency has reportedly approved more than 1.6 million uh, paycheck protection program loan applications from 4,900 lending institutions. And this was in a matter of days. So again, as you were hounding the mailman, looking for those stimulus checks. I hope you guys got your applications in on time because some of the larger chains like uh, Ruth Chris, they were able to get approved, I, I believe in the ballpark of $20 million at uh, each individual location. And um, um, Shake Shack got some money too, I believe. A, a lot of places that you would say, you probably don't need it, got got some money, you know, right. including uh, a lot of these hotel chains as well. And for some people confused at how... Uh, some of these larger chains were getting access to this money. The caveat was that each location would have to apply individually. And that's, again, knowing the loopholes is how the rich stay rich and the poor stay left out. 
because a lot of uh, small businesses, truly small businesses, you know, they, they get they got left behind with this one. Yes. So, you know, just uh, just wanted to, to circle back to that. Now, I, I had a <laughs> I had a couple interesting conversations, you know, oh, God. Um, I've been trying I've been trying to stay out of Instagram live. Um, I haven't gone into the quarantine room like that, you know, Good. Um, definitely haven't. Yeah. So there have been some conversations that have been taking place, though, uh, as far as people looking to diversify their portfolio. I had a conversation with a, a lady friend of mine who told me she was considering doing an OnlyFans, right? <laughs> now, this is a woman only who- fans? Like doing sexual well, content because I saw a dude online and I thought this was genius. He said he was going to do an OnlyFans ASMR, and I'm like, that would probably go off. Now, what what is ASMR? So, um, I forget what the letters exactly stand for, but it's like um, automatic sensory something response. And basically, if you search that on YouTube, I can't listen to it because. Apparently, I don't know if it's like a genetic thing or whatever, but like certain people hear like certain, I guess, frequencies of sound and they say that it calms them. Cardi B has talked about how she watches ASMR videos um, and things like that. And it'll really be people whispering or, you know, they'll be real like soft up on the mic and they, they're going to talk like this and and. I, when I hear it, it, I feel like it makes my brain itch. Like it's like, I have like too much of a reaction to it, I think. But uh, this dude oh, wow. said, yeah, yeah. Like if you search it, there, there was actually a a Netflix, um, BuzzFeed and Netflix had done some, uh, like a little documentary short about how this was a, it's a medical, you know, phenomenon that was discovered by the internet. And there are people who have YouTube channels with millions and millions of um, subscribers subscribers doing stuff like that like and in the video will literally be just the person's mouth you know close up on the mic and getting you know all these views you know that commercial with with um the this what is it Stella Artois one of those um the one with Uh Zoe Kravitz or whatever where she you know popped the bottle and then poured it that's an ASMR commercial that's like what ASMR is so now I'm going to have to search that out and, and process it through this new filter. Yeah. Um, so so this dude said he was going to do it. So that's why I'm asking, if, is your friend doing something sexual or is she doing ASMR? Well, this, this is the question. Right? And that's the question that, that I had. Now, and this is somebody who works in, in corporate America like oh by day. So I said, well, you know, what, what's your plan? Like, are you going to be busting it open? You're twerking? You're, you're, you know, what, how far are you taking this for, you know, to... Like for the culture, what are you going <laughs> to, and so her response was that, no, she was actually only going to do one focusing on showcasing her feet. Right. That goes to, that's another so, weird, so, um, that, so now this is right. So now this is the conversation, right? This is the conversation. Now, clearly there are, there are people, there are men, right? This, this, this sparks a whole, a whole wild flow of conversations. Um, clearly there are fetishes out there, right? People have fetishes that they are willing to pay for. Yes. And and as a, a, a regular person, I, I'm describing myself and I'm, I'm using that euphemism as a regular person, <laughs> a person who I don't believe I have any pronounced fetishes. I recognize that foot fetish is a low hanging fruit. And that is one that is a, a very common one. But my only point of inquiry is what constitutes 
a foot fetish or a fetish versus simply having a preference. You know, I don't, her, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. You, you could simply be into something, right? It's like, oh, you know, uh, if like a woman says she prefers dealing with a man that's uh, over six feet. That's your she favorite can't deal with a, That's the favorite one you got, right? That you like when girls have that one. No, no. The fact that I'm six three is irrelevant. I am, Oh, it uh, is? Oh. Yeah, that that no no. That 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 doesn't move the needle. I actually do okay, you know, sitting down. It's fine. But <laughs> the, the the point is, I think that sometimes, you know, we're quick to we're quick to throw the the fetish label on on maybe on men. We don't have to say on women cuz women, you guys I mean, you just you you guys move differently, I think, than men do. But uh, I think men get hit with that fetish label a, a little too loosely at times. You know, I, I know some guys that are into feet, but I don't know how far you know they will be willing to take it. Like if you don't suck toes, See, but I, for looking I'm gonna, at I'm gonna nicer have, feet, I'm, there's a story I'm gonna have to tell you offline. But um, yeah, some dudes are wild with it. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Okay, clearly, as somebody who is not in the life. I just don't know where the line in the sand is because being willing to pay for something, I don't think is is enough to say that that that's a fetish for a person because porn pornography is a, a billion multi billion dollar industry annually, and there's some people who watch porn that I like just because you watch porn casually occasionally, I don't think that that constitutes as having a fetish. Okay, you know, so I just don't know where the line is. So I've unfortunately had to have this conversation with (laughs) some people who I used to work with because I used to work at a Chinese bank and there was was a white person there and, you know, naturally seeing a white person in a workplace isn't weird, especially, you know, in that type of setting. But then as I got to know more about this person, it was like, yeah, I only date Chinese women and I got like a Chinese roommate and I'm studying the Chinese language. And then it was another coworker who, another coworker who is Chinese said to me, she was like, yeah, he got that whole, um, what they was called yellow fever thing going on. And mm-hmm. I think that once it's, I don't know. I, I just googled the the definition, and I think one of the second one says uh, have an excessive and irrational commitment to or obsession with something. So I guess for me, it's probably when it goes into obsession, um, because okay. you could say you can say I prefer something, but I guess when I hear the term prefer, that makes me think that you could live without this, or you know. Yeah, you would like to have it, but you'd be okay without it. But when I hear like, you know, I have a insert type of person here fetish or insert certain body part fetish, then I think you can't live without it. And and I wanted to stay away from the clinical definitions because, you know, we, we can look that up. But I think there is a, what I'm speaking to is the social component, you know, like as a, as a, a, a black man, uh, when I think about the movie Boomerang, the classic Eddie Murphy flick. Did did Eddie have a foot fetish? You know, he he would check the <laughs> he would check the feet of every woman that he dealt right. with, and if her feet weren't up to his standards, then she couldn't. You know, he couldn't deal with her. Was that a fetish? I mean, in that situation, it was a prerequisite. But 
Yeah, I think so. And I also think there's a fetish component in terms of, if you're now talking about like um interpersonal relationships, I think mm-hmm. there's I think it's a fetish when you kind of look at all those people as interchangeable. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like again, it's a difference from, you know, I prefer you know, a person of a different race versus you know, this is what I do and I'm just looking for a, an Asian woman, an Indian woman, a black man, uh, whatever. And I think we've all kind of witnessed those situations. At least most of us who went to school with white girls have had to have some conversations about the way that they fetishize black men. No, right. The the sexual, the hypersexualization of the black male is something that is well documented. And it's something that most 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 men, most black men who have gone to school outside of the city, especially if you you know you did uh, a stay on on a campus, you know, stay on dorm, yeah, yep. uh, it's something that you would have had to come to terms with. I could re- remember my youth, uh, you know, going to certain spots in Connecticut or New Jersey as a young man, and uh, and being targeted by uh, certain individuals, you know, and I think race was definitely a part of that uh, that conversation. Yeah, it, it's a real thing. Actually, now, go ahead. On the other side of that, what, what, what's the opposite? Because, you know, I believe it was last weekend, the internet was all ablaze about Diddy allowing Drea to twerk on his life, but not allowing Lizzo to do it. And then, that's, then it was the opposite conversation <laughs> where people were saying... Half the people were saying this is, you know, I forget, uh, fat phobic and, you know, oh, all of that. Gosh. And then, then the other people were like, well, that's his preference that he didn't want her to do it. And then to me, the thing that, you know, something that I didn't consider, but another person just was kind of like, well, you know, when Lizzo was doing it, he was there with his daughters and his daughters are young. But then when... Drea did it. He was with his sons, and you know all of Diddy's sons are grown. So I said, okay, maybe. But I I did think that that conversation was a little bit interesting because I don't know the difference between I prefer a woman who is not fat and fat phobia. Well, Lizzo is Lizzo becomes uh and the intersecting point for a lot of conversation about body positive uh, body positivity and societal expectations uh societal norms you know it, it's it, it really is a matter of perspective and context and expectation you know what do you expect from celebrities what do you expect from you know people who are consuming the imagery that's being put out what do you so, expect from her as a as a plus size woman? Do I don't think fall, Lizzo. Where do you fall on that? Because you know, uh, me I think, personally. Well, well, I think what some I think some of the frustration with people were saying that like you know Diddy's kind of playing into the same narratives that everybody else is, and you know somebody with as much cultural impact as Diddy, if he you know allowed her to do that, you know what it would mean for you know self esteem and big girls and all of that. My take on it what was... What it would mean for... Okay, okay, go my, ahead. Go ahead. My so. take on it was, Diddy 
has been consistent about the type of women he dates for the last 30 years. The thickest person right. we saw him with was J-Lo, right? Who's not big right. at all, right? You know what I mean? Diddy, 20 years ago on Making the Band, told the singer, remember the girl Sarah, he told her that she yeah. was a cheeseburger away. Like, Diddy has mm-hmm. never <laughs> not been this way. So I don't know why right. they thought that Diddy was going to be some type of trailblazer in terms of big girl acceptance. Like a Don's supposed to, Sean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He is, yeah, I mean, Diddy's Diddy. But this is the thing. If you are looking for validation, you're not going to get that from Sean Combs. Like, no. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be looking to Diddy for any kind of validation for anything that I'm doing, unless maybe it's, you know, my air for music. Because Diddy, maybe outside of Quincy Jones, has one of the, the, the best musical airs that we've seen, like, period. But if you're talking about body positivity... I think anybody who is making the argument that his allowing or disallowance of, of Lizzo to twerk was somehow, you know, going to affect how they felt about themselves on an individual basis. That sounds asinine. That sounds crazy. Like this, like the dumbest shit I've, I've heard today. <laughs> you know what? I'll go a but step that's further. The, that's the conversation around Lizzo though, that I think is so interesting because I think that's, the reason why right. a lot of people defend her so hard is because they see her as a proxy for themselves. Right. Right. Like Lizzo is, Lizzo is just too much at times for people. Like if I'll speak for myself personally, right? I prefer full figured woman. I say, if you stand up and you put your your, your feet together, your thighs should be touching. If your thighs <laughs> don't touch it, you're not thick enough to get on this ride. You know what I mean? Like that's oh, how wow. I give it up, and that that that's always been that's always been me. Like I'm on brand with that. But um, I think mm-hmm. the conversation with Lizzo that is interesting is that you know there's been thick women before. You know what I mean? Especially you know in black culture, and you know especially when we were you know, in that era of, you know, the golden era of videos and you had like people like Buffy the body and stuff like that. So there has been yeah. thick women. The icon. But, uh-huh. Right. But I think the question about comes about Lizzo is that Lizzo's, it's not necessarily that she's big. I think it's the way her body is actually looks, right? Because she doesn't really have that, you know, hourglass, you know, tiny waist, ass popping out, titty sitting up high, like, she just looked like, you know, the chubby girl from your class back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, like she doesn't have the traditional stature that we're used to seeing. You know what I mean? Because even, you know, when Beyonce w- w- was super thick, you know, that was a certain type of look. And Lizzo, that's just not her. Like, Lizzo is not Okay, her. okay. You know what I well, mean? Well, let, let's go. Let, let's do the deeper dive, right? Our traditional, and I use that in quotations, our traditional beauty standards are based on European standards, which is why Lizzo isn't as acceptable. Because if you go to places in West Africa, Lizzo would be more coveted than, you know, than uh, Ariana Grande. Because, you know, having body weight is a sign of the family's wealth. Right. Um, You know, Lizzo is a a beautiful young lady. She's very pretty. Um, And she's super talented. She's super talented. It's not, you don't need the the sexualization uh, of Lizzo to f- recognize her talent, but I think right. because they she she she's so sexual, all right, and it's not being as received as somebody who might be you know more in range with 
what's being uh, generally accepted. I think that's where the resentment right. comes from as it relates to Lizzo. You know right. what I mean? Like you got to recognize that everybody isn't for everyone. You know, there are people out there that say, oh, nah, Mr. J. Nicholas isn't my cup of tea. 6'3 doesn't do it for me. You got to be 5'8. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Just like this guy, is the people who are 6'9, six, 6'10, six, that's too tall for them. And I, like I say, you see, I see a guy that's 6'10 working in Target. It's like, son, what are you doing? Like, you know, it's yeah, just, yeah. you should have been, if you're 6'10 and you working in Target, right. it's your fault because right. you should have been like, able to like, make something yeah. happen with that. Like, 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 like we, we just, we have an expectation for the people that we're dealing with and whatever's, you know, clouding our, our biases or fueling our expectations, they, they exist. And, uh, you know, we, we just, <laughs> it is what it is. So now, speaking of uh, sexualization, are you familiar with this new Netflix show, Too Hot to Handle? I am not. I am not. Okay. I was really gearing up for Black as Fuck, but um, okay. or oh, Black AF with, right. with Rashida Jones, Quincy Jones's daughter. I was, I was, I was excited about that as I started reviewing it a, a bit more. But tell me about this Too Hot to Handle. So it's a reality show, and you know, Netflix just had the re- the super successful love is blind so i think now netflix is netflix is trying to step more into the reality arena so the and, point- and in hindsight i just want to say in hindsight love is blind fits into this quarantine uh apocalypse dating apocalypse that we're in right now yeah right yeah they um, was early to, to it yeah, super super on brand but go ahead right so now the premise of this show they basically bring in these young people and you can tell that they're like probably in their early to mid 20s um and i believe it's like six guys six girls and everybody has a you know banging ass body all the dudes got you know six pack eight pack tall you know all of this and i don't know what the premise was that they told them that they were going to be doing they just said it was some kind of retreat so you know everybody comes in on the first day you know everybody's eyeing everybody because they're on some kind of beach or whatever you know they're in you know dudes got their shirts off the girls are in bathing suits you know everybody's trying to figure out who they going to talk to you know whatever then an alarm rings and they basically say that the actual premise of this show is for people to form deeper connections and the prize at the end is a hundred thousand dollars however in order to be eligible for this prize no type of sex can go on for the whole time so they said no sexual intercourse no heavy petting i'm still not really not even sure what that means but they said no I don't know. They used to say that when we took like health class in middle school, but I still never got the definition of heavy petting. I don't think I've ever done that, but, um, so no form of heavy petting. All right. Shout out to Miss Jackson. That sounds familiar. And they said no kissing and they said, including no masturbation. So Uh, now this is basically these people, I don't know what they thought they were there for, but now they they're competing for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure if it's going to be one person that takes it or if they have to split it or what it is, but the prize money is a hundred thousand or I don't know, maybe it's a couple, but I saw the first two episodes and on the second one, this is now the the second day. And the question is, are these people going to be able to do it? I've only seen two episodes from what I saw. One, one of the guys and one of the girls already, gave in and kissed and now the prize money has been decreased by three thousand dollars so now they're only competing for ninety seven thousand instead of a hundred so, so now is it with, able with, to take that kind of challenge so right hold on i just want to clarify what the, the challenge is it, it's about the group 
and are the people who 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 actually commit these transgressions are they removed from the show? No, they still get to compete, but it seems at least they haven't been removed as far as I've seen. But I'm only again in the early episodes. But the the group itself is punished, and the the potential prize money has now decreased because of what two members of the group have done. That that is a that is a dope concept. Would I be able? Yes, yes. As far as the, the competition factor, I think that you don't have a full appreciation uh, for how competitive I am. But I might be, uh, and I say this with all humility, I might be one of the most competitive people you've ever met. I am competitive to a fault. Yes, I would be able to do it. I'd be able to do it on my hands. No pun intended. Okay, uh. so according to <laughs> according to the Wikipedia page, I guess whoever finishes, um, they would they would then split this prize. But I don't see what makes you you not be able to finish. I think people can get eliminated, but I'm not sure how that works. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, you got to imagine they'll raise the stakes at some point, put them in some scenarios, introduce alcohol. Oh no, there was alcohol from the very beginning. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, right, right. Like and, you got, you have it's to a beach. raise it's the a, stakes. And if, a, a, see, I wasn't sure where it was. According to this, this was um, filmed in Punta Mita, Mexico. So, you know, it's hot. They own the right. Beach. They drink tequila. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I could see that being a bad recipe. Yeah, you know, I um I once took a bet. I challenged uh all of my my closest friends, you know, from Kendall to Naj, like all of my closest friends. Oh Lord! If you, I said I'll compete, you put up the money. I, I said I want five hundred to a thousand dollars a person, and without training specifically for it. Right, so just doing my regular training, I would enter into and compete in the New York City Marathon, and <laughs> it was it, <laughs> listen, what? it was scoffed, it was scoffed at, it was uh, laughed at, it was no, I don't think you'd be able to do it, but you know what? They never put up the money. And oh, I was about to I tell I was, you, I legit was about to say that. I didn't hear about you running a marathon, so. No, but it, you're talking about willpower and guts alone. I, I would I would have done it. I would have done it. I would have completed it. Um, like, yeah, I am I am competitive to a fault, to a fault. So, yeah, if you put me on a show like that and you say, you know, 30 days, $100,000, all you got to do is just keep it keep it uh, on something else. Yeah, no problem. And and not to segue away from this, I don't know if you... <laughs> no, we can segue. Just to go back to that competitive nature, tomorrow, from the time we're recording this, we, we're going to have the Jordan documentary come out on mm. the last dance for the, for the Bulls. And a lot of the conversation that is in circulation now is centered around Michael Jordan not being uh, a likable guy, right? Not being perceived as being uh, particularly likable. I have heard that. And so what, what this documentary is really going to reveal uh, in terms of Jordan is, yeah, it's going to reveal how much of an asshole he is. It's going to reveal, maybe they'll, they'll talk about him having a gambling addiction. Maybe they'll touch on him being an adulterer and cheating on his wife. None of those things are the reason, the re- a part of the reasons why he's perceived and believed to be the greatest basketball player of all time. It is because of his unwavering, unwavering competitive fervor. And the fact that he not only pushed himself, but his teammates and, you know, everyone in the organization, top to bottom, to levels uh, that they didn't believe that they could reach. And 
I think that's what's going to separate this generation from from you know his his generation. Like we're just you're built differently. You know the younger um, kids they're not built the same. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I think again from my very limited sports knowledge, um, I've heard this about Michael Jordan, and I also heard something similar about Kobe Bryant in terms yes. of of you know the levels that these people were willing to go to. Um, I saw the, the, I think it was a 30 for 30 when they, when Jordan and all those guys were on the Olympic team and they were just talking about like, nobody ever even saw him sleep. He was able to play the game, do the practice, go play golf, go out like just day after day. Like, you know, he was just a machine. And I think, you know, these days we don't hear too much about people just being obsessed to that level. Um, and me as a person who has been diagnosed with OCD, I love it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I think that mm-hmm. those, I think that people who have kind of like that level of neuroses are just naturally going to be better because the thing is they're already gifted, you know, physically and, you know, innately. And then when you add that level of I'm willing to work until I drop, like they're unstoppable. I love it. That is the formula. Had somebody point out to me that they found was way too common was, you know, wasted talent. Right. Oh, and yeah, I'm like, you a, know that's what? That's a big problem in the black community. Lord knows. Okay. Okay. That That's fair. That's fair. Right. Underutilized talent is, is a bigger, bigger issue than, you know, we, we talk about, but let, let's just have a moment of appreciation for the person who has legit talent and is able to marry that with insane work work ethic. And, and when you when you when you have mm-hmm. Well, what I was going to say and if you think a lot of the conversations not to segue away from sports, but you know, a lot of the conversations about working moms and stuff like that are women who are talking about they kind of want the fruits of that insane work because they have the ability to do it but because of choices they've made, they don't do it. So it's like, oh, well, I'm naturally smarter than this person and blah, 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 blah. It's like, right. But at the same time, if you're not willing to put in the hours that this person is willing to put into, or you're not willing to travel the way that this person is traveling, or, you know, you're, you know, like that, then you kind of can't be mad that you're not getting the outcome that, that, uh-huh. that other person is, you know, is getting. That was a lesson that, that I discovered. It was a self-taught epiphany I came to. And my my first marriage. That's how I have to start framing it. <laughs> so oh, sometimes, God. sometimes. Are you, are you price... in another marriage now? Because the, no, no. That. But okay. you know, it, we have to we one. have to be, okay. you know, like divorcee. You have to be in that that mindset. But the, the point oh, is, Lord. this is something that I realized in speaking to my my ex. Then is like you know, sometimes the price for getting what you want when you overreach is losing some of the things you didn't realize you need. You know, and uh, you you have to be willing to be inconvenient, and you have to be willing to That's be uncomfortable. Thing. A lot of and, people are not willing mm-hmm. to. A lot of people are not willing to be uncomfortable at various levels because that's one thing right. that I've definitely seen like people have asked me questions of you know how did I make you know how do I make certain moves professionally and stuff like that and I told them I said I don't get comfortable at all at a job like and I tell them and they're like mm-hmm. oh but then then that's when you hear the person's excuses oh I would switch jobs but you know I, I got a easy commute 
or I would switch jobs, but I don't want to put more hours in, and, or I would do this. And it's like, okay, so the, you're telling me that the situation you're in now is less than ideal for you, but you don't want to do what it takes to change that. So then the question becomes, do you want to change it? I call it wanting to be comfortable in your struggle. And it's like, if you, if you are conscious enough that you are in the midst of a struggle, then you need to embrace all of the discomfort that comes with that. And we can get into this topic deeper later, but, um, have you seen any of the conversation from, um, the lady, her name is, I forget the lady's name, but she's a, either a sociologist or psychologist. Oh, oh, something, uh, Christina Hoff Summers. And a lot of people hate her because she was basically saying that there is no real wage gap. She's what she said, (laughs) what she said was, what she said was that, um, if you look at the, the, the positions that pay the most that either one women don't gravitate towards them at the same numbers as men or two they might start out equal but then women leave and she cites things like um consulting firms and and law firms and things like that and she says like and it's true and this is one thing that this is the only thing that I know about you know coming from those areas that the first year salary for let's say a big law firm everybody makes the same first year you know so it's you know black white man women whatever but the thing is we know that a lot of those people like i have a friend who you know easily works 80 80 90 hours a week right and what christina summer says is that when women you know you start let's say if you do all your college high school law school straight you know back to back you would get out let's say you 25 25 26 right she was saying that at the point where it's either you're going to stay on this track and really now you're on the path to making serious money that that's the exact point, you know, kind of in the late twenties to early thirties range where a lot of women then switch out of those professions because they want to have kids or, you know, they Mm. just, or they just decide that it's not a lifestyle that they want and men are more likely to do it. She says, so that's actually what's causing the wage gap is the decision on the people who are in those fields to not continue in them. So, that, you know, that, that that's, is, that that's, is that's a, pretty controversial. She, she's seen I was very gonna controversial say, for that. Right. That, that is a very interesting take coming from a woman. And I'd be very curious as to where her funding came for this research. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of have seen it play out, though. Like when I worked in Big Four Consulting, at the lower levels, it was pretty much evenly split between men and women but then once you got kind of got to that manager level then that's when you saw it slightly shifting so at the manager level let's say at that point then it's let's say 60 percent men and then 40 percent women and then by the time you see the senior manager level now it's 80 percent men and you know maybe 20 percent women like to see a female right, senior right. manager right then you talk about the partner level which is the highest level you know then at this point it's maybe maybe 10 percent women and if you look at the ages that you would be when you would be reaching those levels unfortunately the way at that time you know the, the heavy travel and having to be away and all of that if you wanted to be a present parent you wouldn't really be able to do that job. And we know that unfortunately a lot of the bulk of the childcare and all of that does fall on women. And then when you add in an actual pregnancy, like there's just certain things that you cannot do 
and be on flights multiple times a week. Like it's not possible. Right. But what what my concern would be is that Miss Hoffman is uh is engaging in in uh, begging the question, you know, the begging the question fallacy, where she has seen the data and is now looking for premises that would support that conclusion that there is no wage gap. You know what I mean? Because what she's what she is doing that that type of uh, conclusion, that type of inductive argument that she's making, removes nepotism, removes race uh, race bias, removes gender bias, removes ageism, removes all of these barriers that are in fact a real thing in a capitalist society that is well documented, and and puts it on, you know, pe- people wanting to plan families like that. That shit sounds kind of nuts in in that context. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of all of that because I think her research is narrow, um, but I definitely have seen it from my own, you know, experience with with talking to certain friends. There are definitely some people that's like, oh, well, I wish I was like such and such person who works at this big firm. And it's like, oh, but you don't want to work the hours that person wants to work. So like, you know what I mean? And there's another concept in the law of, you know, you need the benefit. You get the benefit of your bargain. Right. So maybe to your same point with your ex-wife, it's like, well, if you want certain things, you know, certain caveats or negatives come with it. But I think that that's a lot of the problem is like people want Jordan greatness, but they don't want Jordan work mm-hmm. ethic or, or they don't exactly. want necessarily Jordan sacrifice. And even to go back to the, the, the working conversation, like there are certain people who said like, look, I would prefer to work to make money, to make sure I can pay my child's tuition in the future. And to me, that's more important than me seeing you, you know, in a three-year-old dance class. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what, I don't know what is the right answer there, but I do know that we, you know, you and I both read the the book Outliers. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you think Mm -hmm. of the, the people who are at the very top of these respective fields, a lot of the difference between them and, other people is that they were just willing to put in more time and they were willing to sacrifice more than some other people are willing to to sacrifice. I think that's why that Jordan commercial, the maybe it's my fault. It's one of the greatest commercials of all time. And um, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to drop a clip of it. Uh, You should just do a quick, a quick Google of it, but that's the one way he just kind of addresses that in a nutshell during the commercial. You know, it's him narrating some images, you know, but it's like maybe it's my fault that you thought my my highlight started at the free throw line and not in the gym. You know, and it's kind of speaking right. to to just that fact. You know, people love seeing the presentation and they think that that's where the work starts and not, you know, everything that's the behind the scenes. Listen, you know, and that, that, I, t- I tell people that all the time, like to get where I am now. I know for me, one of the things that I had to do was I knew I was in a job that it wasn't really what I wanted to do, but it was in a field that I wanted to be in. So what I would do is like set up informational interviews and I was working crazy hours. And I would literally say to this person, like, let's say if it was one of my servers, hi, server, so-and-so, you know, I heard that you, I see that you work at X, Y, and Z place. I just want to speak to you. Tell me where to meet you. Okay, meet me at this place at this time. I didn't want to go after, you know, working like 12 hours, but it was like, yo, if this person can, you know, give me some jewels, I'm there. Right. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, now, imagine, imagine all of the pledging, imagine all of the studying, all of the, the, the standardized tests, all of the late nights and all of the late flights, everything that you've done that ultimately prepared you for this moment to be here as a co-host. We appreciate you. Thank I you. can't stand you. <laughs> So I think I want to wrap it there. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a good end. You're an idiot. Um, what are you going to be getting into for this week? What, what um, are we watching? Little fires everywhere as usual. Um, I think, oh, you know, tell me, are you going to be watching this? I see that Grown Up Hip Hop is coming back on this week, coming up. Um, I can answer with a firm no. <laughs> oh, oh, you're not a fan? No, no, that's not really my my cup of tea. Okay, um, I actually do enjoy it. It's it's a little less wild than you know the love and hip hops, uh, you know type of programming. Um, so I'm gonna be doing that, and everybody should make sure to follow me on all social media because I'm going to be doing. I got voluntold to do some kind of video for work, so I have that coming up as well. How about you? Well, I will be tuning in to the Jordan, uh, I keep calling it the Jordan, the Chicago Bulls documentary, um, The Last Dance, which is going to be a 10-part series on SportsCenter. I'll be honest with you. I haven't turned my TV to SportsCenter in almost two months. Like, you oh, know, so you're not, no watching, you're not watching the, the, the people play horse? From home. No, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the sports events. I didn't uh, the horse event. I didn't watch any of the classic stuff. Although tonight they are uh, airing Ali versus Frazier, uh, the, the trilogy, which uh, I was a little like, oh, okay, maybe I'll tune in for that. So uh, yeah, the highlight though, the highlight is definitely going to be the, this last dance documentary, and I'm going to try to get in back into Insecure. I didn't watch episode one. Um, as yet, and I, I did consider doing a, a binge on Curb Your Enthusiasm, which oh, you, love, you know started. I love yes. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, Curb is the truth. If you have, uh, if you're looking for something to do, go back to season one and watch till now. They're in season ten. This is uh, over a twenty year span, and you you'll realize that the stuff they got away with, even in seasons one, two, and three, you couldn't even dream of doing. Um, in today's that one, culture, that, that one he was talking about, he's like, "See, I said the baby look a little Asian." I was <laughs> rolling. Shout, shout out to Larry David. If you haven't, I mean, I don't know what rock you've been under, but if you're not familiar with Larry David, he is the uh, creator of Seinfeld, one of my uh, favorite shows of all time. And so, yeah, that that's what I'll be doing. And of course, uh, just keeping a, a eye open um, and an air uh, air to to the ground as far as you know work and and trying to be safe out there because i i have to be outside so yes please stay safe yeah. yes um so yeah you, you guys uh you, you've tuned in to another episode of the pre-internet friends podcast you literally could have been anywhere else in the world uh, but you've been here with us and we do appreciate that uh, for additional content please check out other episodes of pre-internet friends pod and you can also find us on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, my co-host is at Nicole Shanique. I am at Mr. J. Nicholas. Um, we'll, we'll see you guys around. Peace and blessings, y'all. Bye.
say that's how I feel when your friends start to switch. Close ones turn bitch.